Welcome to the Staffing RecOps podcast, where we interview leaders from high-volume staffing and recruitment firms on the operations, strategy and business processes that they've implemented or are implementing. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to like and subscribe. We hope you enjoy the show. Welcoming to the show today, Neil Carberry. Neil, thanks for joining us. Hi, James. Pleasure to be here. Neil is based in London here in the UK and is the Chief Executive Officer at the REC, the Recruitment and Employment Confederation. The REC is a trade body here in the UK for staffing and recruitment businesses, keeping their members in touch and up to date with the latest government news and legislation, providing business support, careers advice and research reports. The REC drives standards, empowers recruiters to be brilliant and strives to ensure that every candidate is given the best chance of success through good recruitment. Neil, we are focused this quarter on customer and candidate care automation and messaging. Mm -hmm. What are you seeing in the market and what advice can you give to staffing and recruitment firms who are looking to improve their communications? Well, the first thing is to say, I think we're seeing a lot of heat and perhaps not so much light. Um, I think we've all been uh, around and talked to uh, various vendors. And I think you get a lot of kind of buzzword bingo, a lot of hype. Uh, I think we went through a hype cycle around uh, large language models in the first quarter of the year. Um, I, I th- I'd encourage uh, recruiters to take a step back and to say, well, what, what's fundamentally changing about our uh, about our work and what we do? And I think we we're producing some work that's uh, coming out over the summer at the REC to kind of help recruiters think about that. Um, I think probably three things off the top of my head. The first thing is um, there's actually quite a lot of tech that firms can use now. And so not getting too lost in the AGI debate and starting to think about what's in use in the stack in recruitment now, but actually what's also in use in other sectors that we haven't used yet um, that that maybe we can use to improve what we do. Then the second thing is, you know, and we all know this from deploying all sorts of technology in our businesses. Certainly, I know it from deploying tech in the inside the REC. And of course, we have a very different stack to a recruiter as a membership body. Um, is It's only as good as the people using it and their interaction with it. So there's a lot of change management that, I, that we're hearing people talking about. You know, how do I, for instance, you buy a new CRM. Um, how that That is as good as the adoption of it. So how do we do change management? And then probably the third bit is to understand that what we're heading for is a tech-enabled human business, not a human-replaced business. And if you think about the fundamentals of recruitment, I, I went over to the SIA in Miami early in the year, and someone said there, you know, the game has always been selling uh, imperfect people to imperfect jobs and imperfect jobs to imperfect people. And when you think about it that way, all of the skills that maybe, you know, I and kind of increasingly have to think of myself as the older generation of recruitment, I and the kind of all the 45 plusers in the industry learned back in the 80s and 90s about how you handle candidates and clients become more, uh, uh, more important. When you draw that together, it's all of it speaks to finding ways for the technology to as 
Tim Cook of Engage says, not to make consultants marginally more productive, but to give easier paths to clients and candidates, even if that easier path ultimately ends up in a human conversation with a consultant. So we think, I, I think lots of recruiters are thinking about how how do I change the balance of tech and human input in our process? And I think that is actually the exam question that we'll wrestle with for a couple of years to come, probably more than a couple of years, actually. Are you seeing any agencies doing a particularly good job of automating their messages? So I think uh, in the interest of kind of being the chief executive of the REC, I'm going to pick a business that isn't a member of the REC because it's in the US. Uh, because I you know, don't pick winners amongst the REC membership, love them all. Um, Aya Healthcare is a great example in the States where they have built an integrated platform into what they do. And it's delivered exponential growth in, in their market, which is travel nurses, um, what we'd call agency nurses in the UK. So there you've got a, a sense of a business that has lent into, we want a different way for candidates to interact with us. Um, and we're seeing some evidence of that developing amongst REC members in the UK. So much more app-based schedule offer, uh, uh, shift offer, shift management. Um, on the client side, much more uh, tech-based understanding of who's in the workplace on any given day and and what additional fill rate there might be, for instance, in blue collar logistics or uh, food manufacturing. And these things I think are really sensible first steps. I, the most important thing I think for re recruitment business owners and leaders is not to try and boil the ocean and to think about this as a pathway which, of which your data strategy is the core part. You, know, you don't automate anything without a good data strategy and you don't use AI without a good data strategy. So if you think broadly, it's about kind of, have I got the data under control in my CRM? Do I then have a data strategy about how I'm going to use it that's GDPR compliant? Okay, how do I automate and how do I apply AI? Thinking of it Darwinistically, um, every stage in that process has a marginal commercial benefit to you as a business. And therefore, you don't have to lump uh, to jump, those of you know your Monty Python, straight to lion taming from uh, banking. You can take the first step to accountancy. Um, and I think that sense of viewing your tech development as stepping stones is really important. The Bill Gates quote about people tend to underestimate the amount of change that will happen in the next two years. Uh, sorry, uh, sorry, tend to overestimate the amount of change that will happen in the next two years and then underestimate the amount of change that will take place in the next 10 feels really spot on here, right? Your recruitment business is not going to fall over if you don't, if you don't make progress on all of it in the next 18 months. But if you're not taking steps over the course of the next five, six, seven years, then in 10 years and 12 years time, absolutely there are going to be some big challenges out there so i'd encourage uh, recruit businesses to have a look at some of these examples that are working well and also magpie it a bit because you know good ideas aren't just coming from our sector there's lots of interesting stuff that's happening in other sectors as well 
it can seem a bit daunting, can't it, for somebody who's not started on this journey yet. So very good point about breaking it down. What would you recommend in terms of resources that are out there that help guide, particularly around the, the transformation piece and, and managing that, that change management piece? So I think you there's a lot of advisory out there. And for most recruitment businesses, advisory comes in one of two forms. Either it's consultancy that you buy or it's um, advisory support that's associated with a vendor. Um, my general point of view is you probably don't want an agency problem with, a, with your core advisor. So you either want someone who, you, someone who is experienced in acting as a consultant, but who is directly engaged by you, or you want the, frankly, you want, the, the skills on your team to understand what you need. And that does come with a bit of cost, but I think that cost repays itself because you do it, the, you make some progress the first time or the second time in what you're doing, rather than having to retool and reshape. And also it allows you to, to, to set whatever you're doing up against the cost envelope that you know you have. Um, so first and foremost, I think get the skills on your team with loyalty to you. Um, whether that's someone who's doing a day or two a week or uh, to having a look at things or whether it's a member of your team who's dedicated to that. Secondly, then set out a realistic plan. And then thirdly, you know, as that realistic plan, you've got to own your data. You've got to really own your data and what your data strategy is. And if you do those things and you're talking to your team about what this means for how they change what they do and you're working on adoption, then I think you're over halfway towards making a difference and almost agnostic to what the technology you're actually trying to to put in place is um you know if it's adopted that then you're going to make a difference there's a really great bit of work that was done by a friend of mine felicity birch um uh who's now at the center for data ethics and innovation five plus years ago which pointed out something that I know the the Treasury has been really clear on as well, which is you can get often get 80% of the benefit of technology um, f by go, going for a minor, a minor early audited generic product straight out of the box, um, which is often at 40 to 50% of the cost of building something bespoke. So just thinking about what how do, how can we get the benefit of things quickly and understanding what those trade-offs are that's where really good advice matters as you mentioned earlier there are a number of off-the-shelf solutions in this space revolving around automated messaging to candidates what would you suggest is the the quickest win in terms of automated messages because thinking about the different ways in which people use it you were just talking about actually scheduling getting people onto shifts of course there's um, messaging your existing database that perhaps you've not had contact with recently what what would you suggest is is the quickest win well anything that makes life as easy as possible for candidates so you know, if you're automatedly emailing your existing database to say, please click here if you're still interested in a job, what's the open rate on that? Not very high. What's the click through rate? Not very high. Um, so we need to be thinking about how do we move, remove barriers to engagement for, for, uh, for this uh, candidate group? And that will differ by 
by candidate groups. So understanding your audience really matters. The other thing is, um, you know, I'm a great fan of art and science working together. There's definitely something in making sure that whatever the content of the automation you're doing is well put together and is well crafted and well targeted so that don't let's not lose sight of the importance of your marketeers um is writing skills because um large language models haven't got there yet in terms of the right the right framing of the this stuff but if you are kind of targeting automated messages to a candidate pool and they are not well targeted they will become an irritant that there can be a sense of overload with automated messages can't there have you got any guidance or direction for people when thinking about the volume of automated messages they're sending out yeah look i think it's really important to um remember that your brand is on the line. So it is better to send fewer well-targeted messages with good uh, uh, hooks for, for engagement than to send repeated ones. You know, we've all accepted the LinkedIn request from someone who says, here's what I do, and then send you a message twice a week for the next six weeks getting progressively exasperated that you don't come back. He said, reflecting on his own LinkedIn uh, message, message box. But to be honest, um, you know, everyone is busy and you have to expect that unsolicited sales, unsolicited offers will not be responded to. It's why increasingly you find on the client side, and I think this will come to the candidate side as well, um, recruiters using added value offer in some of their automated messages. So thinking about, you know, here's some thinking that we've done on the shape of the labor market for the thing that you do. Um, and it might be quite interesting. And incidentally, um, we'd love a conversation if you're thinking of moving. That kind of thing is really important. My my general view is that you want to hit people when they're when they're engaged with the 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 social media or the email inbox so you know 10 a.m on a tuesday is great for email it's not fantastic for facebook um and then you want to make sure that there's a reason for them to spread yeah, so this is classic marketing stuff and just because you know it, it's the old uh data rule isn't it garbage in garbage out if if the message wasn't well written when you wrote it as a, a, a as a non-automated one just sending it to them 15 times isn't going to make a massive difference are you seeing any novel messaging towards clients we mo most of this automated messaging most of the focus from what i see from the people i speak to it is predominantly around the candidate you've mentioned just there making sure you, you send a value add when when reaching out whether it's a, a client or a candidate but is there anything in particular you're seeing where people are automated automating messages to their client contacts so i'm starting to see people taking the strategy that's developed on linkedin over the last two or three to five years um onto um onto their automated messaging so for the last few years I've seen recruiters using LinkedIn to talk about 
their expertise, their reflections on the market, some of what they're doing in the business. I think you're starting to see that appear in automated messaging as well. If you can get the data right. I remember the HRD of a FTSE 100 company speaking at uh, the REC's annual conference and she said, look, if you ring me up to offer me a candidate, I am not interested. If you ring me up and talk about an issue that is actually on my mind, we might have a conversation. And by the way, I might be interested in that candidate when you're finished. So it's that thing about um, how do you use automation to broaden the reach of a message that you've really thought about. And the message you've really thought about is Mr. or Mrs. Client, I understand the problems that you're facing in your business and I have some potential solutions and some thoughts that might make it worth us engaging. And at what point do you think you should cap that automated messaging? I'm, I'm hearing from various sales organizations that it takes anywhere between 12 and 15 touch points now before somebody is ready to buy. And, that, and that's talking about product. So it's going to be something similar at times, I would guess, when trying to sell into someone your services. How, how often and how regular should this messaging go out? And then where, where do you cap it? That's a really interesting question. Of course, I, as you mentioned earlier, we do a lot of work in the world of Whitehall and Westminster, and they're quite good at knowing about messaging uh, because you know there's no there's no subject in social science uh, better funded for research than how to get the vote out. Um, and when I talk to people who are involved in political parties, they will say, the minute someone starts to complain to us about the amount of literature we're putting out, that's when we know we've got some cut through. And, and so, yeah, we need to be not bashful about volume. That volume has to always be subtly different and it has to walk people down a path. So I would say that, yes, you are looking at a multi-week potential, uh, potential campaign with six to eight, perhaps, interactions. And if you're getting nothing from the automation after eight, you're probably not capturing eyeballs but of course if you get start to get some interaction and you can measure open rates and click through rates and so forth and kpis are right at the heart of this because the one thing we talked in generalizations here james but the one thing that's really clear is you know candidate bodies are different sector by sector and clients are different sector by sector so you need to set your kpis and understand your kpis and measure to uh, and, and manage to them in terms of what sort of response you're getting but I think you need to be you need to feel confident to have a consistent campaign. That consistent campaign isn't sending the same message eight times. It's sending a version of the same message with a different wrapper, um, looking for the one that hooks. And maybe underneath that, then having some some uh, decision trees of well, if they bite on message three in that way, then message four is this. And just thinking through how you you deepen into the niche that the client or the candidate is choosing. What do you think is the next step around these automated messages? Where where do you see everyone? People are starting to invest in those email campaigns and and social media. Do you think do you see a lot of people also sending messages over WhatsApp, 
SMS. I've certainly seen seen some SMS. I'm not sure I've yet seen SMS used well, particularly. Um, and of course, part of the challenge is the quality of the data that 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 you have. Um, I'm really interested in the potential for automated messaging and social media activity to interact. So you see a lot of people using vehicles like LinkedIn Live now to to do sessions on things, to deliver content that people are interested in. Um, how you drive people to that using automated messaging and how you follow up from it using automated messaging uh, where you are capturing who's coming on your linkedin live i mean that that's really important and there's a whole piece about uh, how do we understand from people's other behavior whether they might be looking or not uh, and i know there are a lot of firms that are trying to improve the quality of data that recruiters have about understanding where people are do you respond to automated messages? Sometimes. Um, and the, most of the time, probably not. Um, but if there's something interesting, then yes. And that's the thing. We need to understand that the person on the other end of the automated message is a human being with human interests and motivations. So actually, one of the big questions I'd encourage people to ask themselves is, measure the outcome not the output so once you've put together the messaging that you're using ask yourself under what circumstances would i respond to that because i think this is where i keep coming back to this idea that ultimately the sector is a human sector so the purpose of automation is to increase the reach of the sector the reach of the individual recruiter to people who might want to interact at the human level. And we have to be aware that ultimately that by decision is made by a human being, usually in com conversation with another human being. If you're a smaller agency, you're less likely to have that internal resource, marketing people who who should be writing this messaging? Should should smaller agencies put it on their recruiters to um, to, to plan out these these flows? I think, to be honest, you don't have to be very big as a firm to get to a point where you do should really have a marketing lead of some description. Now, in the very smallest firms, that might be a consultant who's taken some time away to, during the during the week that the com company allows for. But getting that copyright really matters um and the other alternative is i've seen recruitment businesses use local specialists really well it's always worth remembering that um for every kind of massive consultancy charging loads of money to large players there's often a specialist locally who's happily happy to do a day or two to help you you know, on a and you know, as a sector, we should love people doing things freelance and temper and temporary, of course. Um, so I found that the most innovative agencies at the small end in our membership are either ones where the owner operator or a member of the senior teams leaned into this and thought about it and has built some skills themselves, or ones where they're partnered with someone locally who's maybe doing a day a week for them or a day a couple of days a month who's helping them with what they're doing and understanding what they can do. And you start to see 
those firms presence more and more when you get into you know local job search which you know primarily is a social media uh, phenomenon um you know one of the things i learned through nine years on um uh, the low pay commission is how many people find their jobs on facebook even today have you seen any examples of automated messaging done really badly yeah yeah and i think i think sometime i have seen a number of bits of automated messaging which frankly I think came out of an, a culturally unaware school. Um, and so particularly where it's drafted with a, a certain level of Americanness for a UK audience. Um, you know, you know yourself, James, that uh, Brits are a little bit more introverted, a little bit more diffident. Um, stuff that feels like, you know, that, that feels pushy. Um, to to your audience is likely to get that reaction, you know. Screw you guys. So there's a bit of um, there's a little bit of always remembering that you're looking for a positive reaction from the from the audience member, or at worst you're looking for a not for me. If you're actively kind of generating a a, a pushback, then that's a problem. Um, Albeit that you probably want people who are genuinely not interested, not interested to tell you so. Are you seeing from your members more conversation around this subject at the moment, or is it not as pressing as other challenges? Um, I think the challenge at the moment is less automated messaging than it is understanding the client pool. Um, and the two are fundamental, sorry, understanding the candidate pool rather, the two are fundamentally linked. But I think those businesses that are going to succeed in the market that we're moving to are going to have deep niches and have ways of accessing candidates um, in their niche that other businesses have not yet developed. That's how you protect a recruitment business. Um, so, for instance, how do you reach into different pools in terms of background, in terms of career experience, where there may be transferable skills? And that, of course, is where, you know, the right automated messaging could actually be quite helpful. But again, it has to be done in a way that's culturally relevant. So a lot of the what I'm feeling for here is that there's a mix of art and science and the science is probably useful to us as an as an industry but if we get the art bit wrong it could actually be counterproductive you mentioned a piece of research that you're working on at the rec that's coming out in the summer can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah we've been working with a strategy consultancy called mhna um to do a piece of work on well what is uh the tech enabled human being driven recruitment future uh and it does a little bit of what we were talking about earlier it says look here's the, what, the stat you probably got now here's some thinking about how that might move forward based on tech that we have now that you could think about here's a little look towards agi uh, so not agi ai tools um and and some of the nearer term stuff on that and then let's have a look at well if you are going to set off on this journey and we think you should 
Um, how do you set up set out on that journey in a way that um, steadily puts one foot in front of the other and you cross the river on the stepping stones and carries your people with you? Because those two things feel to us to be absolutely critical to doing tech well, and they're and they're often um, uh, forgotten about. When will you be publishing this research, and where can our listeners find it? So it will be available uh, towards the end of July. Uh, there will be a release on uh, the REC website, and it will be available for REC members before the summer there. Uh, we will be producing bits and starts on it for uh, uh, of it over the course of the 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 summer for non-members to have a look at but as you know james i'm very keen that recruiters in the united kingdom join the rec so uh that's one of the one of the goodies you get when you get inside the member area of course well neil thank you very much for coming on the show today and for sharing your insights with our audience absolute pleasure james Thank you to our listeners. Please like, subscribe and share. And more importantly, let us know if there is someone you would like us to interview on the show and what you would like to hear them talking about. What strategic and or operational changes are you planning to implement in your staffing slash recruitment firm? Lastly, thank you to our sponsor, Employee, providing front and middle office solutions to a range of staffing and recruitment organisations on the Salesforce platform. That's all for today. James Lawton signing out. 